Hi and welcome back to Airfields of Dreams. This week we're going to Shannon Airport in Fredericksburg, Virginia. It's uh, Echo Zulu Foxtrot EZF. It's uh, located uh, basically, you know, not smack dab in the middle of Fredericksburg, but it's um, you know three mile walk from downtown, so as close as you could really put an airfield there. It's uh, just an incredible place to visit. If you've never gone, you owe it to yourself. If you've gone, it's it's still an awesome place to go. There's a cafe on the field. There's tons of history. There's a museum. You can walk right in the town. There's there's more history than you can shake a stick at in Fredericksburg. It's it's if you're within 200 mile flight, you know, it'd be a fantastic day trip. So first, the numbers. Uh, it's got two runways. It's got its paid runway. It's uh, runway six two four. It's uh, 3,000 feet, and it's got a turf uh, crosswind runway, too. It's uh, 1,500 feet. Um, I don't land on turf runways with my plane. I'm kind of worried about a prop, prop strike, but I guess it would always be there for if you need the crosswind uh, capability. Uh, the one thing about landing on it is there's no real, there's kind of taxway on part of it, but if you land on 2-4, you know, you'd be back taxing to uh, to get there. So I, I noticed I, I flew on on a Saturday. I noticed people were extending their downwinds. They were just giving people time to, to land on two four and then and then clear out before they landed. So a little bit of courtesy goes a long way. Its uh, altitude is 85 feet. It's basically you know more or less sea level. And it, like I said, it's 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 got a lot of draws. It's got a museum. It's got a, a, a neat vibe to it. It's got a cafe. It's got a, a pilot shop there. Um, and it's also like easy walking distance in a downtown Fredericksburg. The history of Shannon Airport. Uh, Sidney Shannon Jr. opened the airport in October 1950. He named it after his uh, father, who was a uh, early investor in Eastern Airlines. He kept the airport until 1981 when it was taken over by Billy Toombs and Robert Stanley, who ran it, and until... 2014, the airport was bought by Luke Curtis, and we are going to have an interview with Luke Curtis at the uh, interview with the pilot part of this uh, this show. Um, Luke's an amazing person, and uh, he had started flying in 2004 and basically fell in love with the airport and then uh, bought it. And we'll uh, we'll uh, we're going to have an interview. He's going to give us an uh, air tour, audio tour rather, of uh, his museum. Uh, the museum. So the museum. It's just relatively recently been reopened. It was um, closed when uh, Mr. Shannon had died, and uh, a lot of the uh, airplanes have been moved down to the uh, Aviation Museum in Richmond, which then closed itself, and they were just stored up. Uh, Luke Curtis has uh, done a lot to bring the airplanes back. Um, you know, probably people listening to this podcast, we've all been to a lot of uh, museums, sure. This is one of the better ones. Um, there's, uh, it's not like uh, say, you know, don't don't expect Wright Patterson, you know, acres and acres and and hangars. Uh, the uh, the planes they have in there, they're they're all planes from the golden age of flying, from World War One up to uh, World War Two. Just uh, just incredible. Just you, you owe it to yourself. It uh, there's a donation of fifteen dollars to to get in. It's it's uh, I think seven dollars for kids. It's well well worth it. Um, it's really. Uh, really brings it back. It's something to, to see these old machines here. And we'll talk about that, in, in like I said, when we uh, talk to uh, Mr. Curtis here. So that's the, uh, the history of the airfield. 
I, I couldn't uh, talk about the history of the airfield though, without talking about the history of the battle at Fredericksburg in uh, December of uh, 1862. The airstrip is really right at the, the northern part of the, the entire southern battlefield. The, the battle was kind of broken into two parts. There was a, a northern prong and a southern prong. And what happened was um, Burnside, the, the Union general, determined to go through Fredericksburg on his way to Richmond and, and he had to take Fredericksburg to do it. Basically it ended up being, for lack of a better word, the Gallipoli of the Civil War. You had uh, thousands of Union soldiers assaulting uh, pre-prepared defenses. 35,000 men dug in onto a ridge and just had basically their behinds handed to them and it was a horrible, horrible route on the, uh, the Union side. Um, basically what happened, uh, you know, you can read about this, there's tons of books, there's, there's a movie, if you're interested, Gods and Generals, that does a good job of depicting it, but Burnside's plan was to make a feint at Warrenton way to the west and then swing over before uh, the Confederates had a ch chance to react, cross the Rappahannock, and uh, at that point Fredericksburg would have been lightly defended, go through Fredericksburg on its way to Richmond. Well, what happened was they were delayed. They, they uh, had to get pontoon boats to cross the Rappahannock. They didn't arrive in time. So this gave the Confederates complete time, like I said, not unlike the Turks in uh, 1916, to completely arm and, and, and trench in really good on that ridge. So by the time uh, Burnside's men came across the Rappahannock, the Confederates were well, well, well ready for them and just... Um, it was a vicious fighting. The, the Union was actually able to find a gap in their line and actually gain the ridge, but uh, you know, for a lot of reasons you can read about it in history books, were unable to prosecute that advantage and were, were forced back, uh, basically. So when you fly in, when you fly in on 2-4, you're facing that ridge, and it extends all the way to your left, you know, for about six miles, and you can drive that. I, I recommend. Uh, we'll talk about uh, you know the the transportation available here in a bit. I recommend you you, you drive that and just you know the the the, uh, the embankments where the uh, Confederate soldiers uh, they're still there from a hundred years ago where where those men uh, laid and, and just uh, waited for the Union to, to try to attack the ridge. Um, they're 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 all still there. It's just it's it's really a moving uh, um, thing to 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 go to that battlefield. So some I've, I've been to pretty much every uh, Confederate battlefield every civil war battlefield in the country some of them there's they're they're just fields where people did battle like shiloh is like that there's no uh there's absolutely nothing prepared in shiloh because shiloh is basically a um a bugs bunny a roadrunner cartoon run one way and then the other way you know the uh, um, uh confederates ran the union down to the river and the next day the union ran them back but there was no prepared uh embankments no 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 um uh, there's nothing left there. It's just fields where, where people fought. But uh, uh, the the battlefield in Frederick is Fredericksburg is entirely different. There's you can actually see those men, you know, waited waited for the Union to uh, to attack them. Well, let's see uh, the history. Now on to the uh, Pyrep. No surprises flying in the ridge like we talked about in the history section. The ridge is uh, right in front of you, right there. Um, it's it's not a problem getting out. You can clear it just fine. It's uh, you know. It's like a lot of optical illusions. It looks closer than it really is, but uh, really no problem. Uh, gas is uh, on the uh, the low side, medium side. It's hard to tell now with you know gas prices going up because of recent events. 
and I think what you find a lot is whether or not the the airfield has uh, re-upped its its gas tank. Because a lot of the small airfields only re-up their their gas tank like you know maybe twice a year, three times a year or something. So it's all kind of luck of draw, like where you are in that that tank when uh, when you land. But no, gas is uh, you know I'd say on on the medium side, you know it's a, a good price. It's a, um, a self serve. And and also they have a, a full serve if you like it. Pay a little more for that. They do have a crew car and generally take it for two hours a day. I was told, and also sometimes it's available overnight if you uh, make arrangements with them. Uh, kind of on the expensive side for a tie down, um, not not real expensive, but twenty dollars a night. But uh, the good thing is if you, uh, um, I guess that'd be three three nights. You basically pay for the whole month. It's seventy dollars for the whole month, or uh, you get a tie down for one night for twenty dollars. Uh, the museum, like I said, we'll we'll talk to Mr. Uh, uh, Curtis. Just uh, just blew me away. One plane that's entirely unique. It's the only one left like it in the world. I won't spoil it. I have to listen to the the, the uh, pilot interview part about that. The uh, cafe there. There's a little cafe, the Robin's Nest Cafe. Uh, just uh, great. It's got breakfast and it's got lunch sandwiches. Uh, I landed there on the Saturday. The place was jamming. It's got this kind of neat uh, 1950s vibe to it. It's got Formica and uh, you know Chrome and you know 50s tunes playing. It's got an outdoor patio. Uh, you know there might have been I'd say a dozen families out there eating. People eating with their kids. Uh, planes are just roaring by. You know wingtip. You know a wing's length away from them. It's just a, a great. Uh, Great vibe. A lot of families out there with kids uh, um, watching the planes. Right next to the cafe is a pilot shop. Pilot shop's good. It's got uh, you know you can pick up a case of oil. There's a lot of t-shirts, souvenirs, that kind of thing. It's not the kind of pilot shop like say you know if you fly into Spruce down in Georgia or if you fly you know I don't know uh, Clearwater or I'm sorry Clearview in Maryland that you know has like cotter pins and everything but it's it's it pick up uh things like oil and things for the plane which is uh, is real convenient it's like i said it's only a three mile walk in the center of town and there's you know restaurants and gas stations literally right out the door i mean you're landing like i said as close as you can land you know in in fredericksburg itself uh the fbo is isn't a place um you can really crash at but there's plenty of motels within walking distance so you don't really need to it's not out in the boondocks like like some places are all in all it is just well worth your a visit it's a just a neat neat place with you know really restore your your love of aviation if if you've uh, if you've lost it I, I met somebody in uh, Oshkosh one time and she told me that um, you know basically what Oshkosh does is kind of like rejuvenates you know her like kind of love of aviation for the whole year and flying into Shannon does the same thing. You just come away with that, looking at all the kids, you know, being excited about the planes, looking at the the museum, sitting in, uh, you know, kind of 1950s style uh, diner with that same kind of love of aviation. Plus, if you're a history buff, um, you know, you could you could spend a long time going through the museums and the history in Fredericksburg. So I highly recommend. Next up is interview with a pilot, and this is not just any pilot. It is the owner of Shannon Airport and the man that restored the museum which we will be talking about next. 
Hi, this is uh, Hank Roush and, and uh, who Luke am I Curtis. Luke Curtis, and, and you're the owner of, of uh, Shannon Airfield. Shannon Airport, yeah. Shannon Airport, and we're standing in your in your uh, museum right here, and I'm I'm blown away by these these aircraft. Shannon Air Museum, yes, it's uh, Shannon Air Museum is uh, when Mr. Shannon founded it in the '70s, '60s, and '70s. This was the rarest privately owned collection in the world of antique aircraft. So we have one of one, the first Araka. Uh, a SPAD, a standard E1, the, the Pitcairn that flew Eastern's 50th anniversary, the Curtis Robin, which we named the Robin's Nest Restaurant after, was in that hangar. So, These are this, priceless. This is only 40% of what we have, actually, so we're expanding. Hall of Fame of the State of Virginia is here. So. I can't, I, I'm, I'm completely blown away, especially that SPA there. It looks like it came right off a battlefield in uh, World War I. This is the SPA here, yeah. Oh, my Lord. Yes, so... 19, uh, 1916 actually SPAD. It says 1970s, 1916 SPAD. And I understand uh, a lot of them still fly. Uh, yes, um, the flying ones we have in the other, in the corporate hangar, we have several that fly. These start, actually several of these run, but they haven't flown for a while. Sure, sure. Yeah. And uh, you're going to expand. I noticed there was another building uh, uh, to the right right there. Is Across that the street is the original to? museum. When we bought the airport in 2014, the airport was 114 acres when Mr. Shannon owned it, but when he passed away, they, they sold it to developers who were going to get rid of it. And so they got rid of about half of the acreage and the museum building. So we have, we have 68 acres here now, and we've actually got some of the acreage back. And uh, we're looking to get the old museum building back. So we refinished the airport and redid it back uh, in 2014 to, to try to bring it back to what it was uh, when Mr. Shannon had it. And so, uh, and to bring it back as a campus airport, really, of the state of Virginia. So uh, many of the airports in the state of Virginia consider this their campus airport because in terms it has of, the history of oh. a lot of airport, or airports in this, on this field, in this museum. So this, this would have been turned into condominium, if you hadn't bought it in 2014, it would have been gone. It, it would have, uh, well, there was a couple that, that worked for Mr. Shannon that actually ended up taking over in the late 90s. They got all the money they could muster together to buy the rest of it, and they lived off of it. So they did a good job. Billy and Stanley, they weren't a couple, they were, they were partners. Mm -hmm. uh, Billy Toombs and uh, Robert Stanley. And uh, I took flight lessons here in 2004. I always wanted to be a pilot. I grew up next to Tampa International Airport as a kid. And so uh, I asked him if I could purchase the airport, and I was gonna build our manufacturing plant on the grass runway and restore the airport. And when we refinished the airport and fixed it up, so many people came and landed on the grass runway. I thought, I can't do that. And two, three years ago, we sold our business, my wife and I, and so I'm just in the airport business now. I'm glad you are. I, I can't imagine this place being, uh, so, so many little airfields are getting stripped up for development, and, and that's it. I mean, uh, thank the Lord you, you, you're, you're keeping this place alive. Well, God uh, has been good to us. You said, thank the Lord. By the grace of God, we got this. And uh, in fact, I'm very thankful that we've been able to do it and he's allowed us to do it as stewards. We're only stewards of things for a short time. There's no U-Hauls behind any Hearst. Nope. So I'm thankful that I get to be a steward of aviation uh, in the state of Virginia for a while. And it sounds like you're being recognized by the state as kind of like the, 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 the intellectual capital of, of this flying right here. So it'll, 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 maybe when you're gone, it'll stay here, it sounds Lord like. Lord willing, it'll keep going. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we have uh, people involved that uh, are interested that are younger people. And our goal for the museum is to have interactive, an interactive museum with a theater, 
a 4D theater where you actually feel air and hear talking and and we want to do also a couple of rides that are maybe a parachute ride and a few things for kids oh, wow. in the area so we're looking to really expand it I don't want I hate to say the Disney World of aviation but kind of a, something that is educational plus you know it grabs their attention next generation you know, I was having a chat with a fellow at our Hummel last week, and we were talking about how young folks just aren't going to, like the people he sees, he's a flight instructor, are more, they're doing it, you know, to become airline pilot. There's very few of the people just do it like you did for the love of fly, flying. Well, I love it. It's funny you say Hummel because Don Sirio is our, is our um, curator, and Don's down at Hummel. Don oh. actually flies the, bi the blue and yellow biplane out of Hummel. And he is our, he's our curator. He worked for Mr. Shannon. In fact, when you take off from Hummel, right there at Urbana, there's the farm that has the grass airstrip. That was Mr. Shannon's farm that he used to fly from here to the farm. He had Eddie Rickenbacker down there and everybody else, and that was the Shannon farm. And a lot of these planes, believe it or not, uh, the 2000, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, Pitcairn, they flew, that were Robin, they flew down there at times to that field. Oh, man. And so that's just a little bit of tidbit of information. I guess I'm not surprised. This is a small enough aviation community. I was, I was talking to Michael, who owns that PT-19 down yes. there, and, and he was telling me all the little fields up and down the Rappahannock that are no longer. I've you seen know. the PT-19 down there. That's pretty neat. Isn't that something? Yeah, yeah. And, and he's really, he's not somewhere from yourself, Russ, in that um, he's doing it for the love of flying, really. He's not, you know, making a ton of money, but he's keeping things alive, you know, hopefully for the next generation. Yes, the next generation of aviators. Now, what's, tell me, what's your, your, your favorite plane here? Well, you know, Put I, you on the spot. <laughs> you know, you know um, believe it or not, um, I really have to say it's hard, to, it's hard for me. It's between the Pitcairn and the, the uh, Valti. You know, the Valti uh, is the only one in the world left. It's a V1A. I was going to say, it's very rare. It was yeah. owned by William Randolph Hearst, um, in the, and it's a 1936. And uh, it is a, uh, it, I used to look at it and think, you know, I'm a jet, I love Phantom Jets and F-14s and P-51s. So the first time I saw this, I said, that is the ugliest plane I've ever seen. But actually, I think it's one of the most beautiful planes I've ever seen. It's so unique. And so um, I have to say Lady Peace 2 is uh, really neat. Now, Dick Merrill flew this plane. Dick was the pilot that flew across the ocean the first time with a Valti V1 uh, with Harry Richmond. He made the first transatlantic flight there and back with a passenger after Lindbergh. So he also made the coronation flight the next year when King George was coronated, Elizabeth's father. In fact, we have pictures here of that coronation from Dick's camera. So we have a lot of things here. Now, um, there, there's a story behind this, something about it. It, it, was, it was found in a jungle? It was found, so it was out in Pueblo, Colorado that it was found. A guy pulled up to, um, to a, what was the gentleman's name? Um, anyway, yeah. the gentleman who owned a junkyard, he was a car mechanic. He and his wife had this, they, they had this guy pulled up with a trailer with this old fuselage on it. He said, can I rent a spot for three months from you? And, and he said, sure. So he gave him the money for three months. He left the trailer. Never saw the guy again. So two years later, he saw all the pieces of this plane, and he started to put it back together. So he put this plane back together, and um, he started slowly, and he, he fell in love with it, and he found the history of it. And it, it was, there's pictures of it uh, when it was put back together. And um, actually, it was uh, Johnston. Harold Johnston, I'm sorry, Harold okay. Johnston okay. and his wife. So Harold 
put this together, and I, I, I sat with his family in the plane about a year and a half ago, all his kids. There's Dick Merrill, and there's Don Sirio, who's down in Hummel. Don's to the right, Harold's in the middle. Dick Merrill's the famous pilot who flew across the ocean. And this is when they bought the Spirit of San Pablo, which became Lady Peace II, this airplane, in commemor commemoration of his flight across the ocean. And this was the last one in the world left. My and Lord. it was restored and it flew and it used to fly out of here all the time. 71, it was the grand champion at Oshkosh. There's the... There it is when it was the Jungle Queen over there to the left. That's a story I heard, yeah, yeah. that it was in a, in a jungle somewhere. There it is when it was it had a flight, uh, Lady Peace, it was uh, with an airline. And there it is after it was restored. You know, I was talking to your docent, I guess he's having a whole uh, uh, crew of like uh, young kids coming in here at two o'clock, you're saying. I guess, I, so yeah, I guess that's pretty regular, right? You have we had a, kids coming yeah, We had a group here. from D.C. on uh, Thursday, they came with about 40 kids and they came through and young, young inspiring aviators. And uh, you know, our goal is, is to, uh, to uh, build it. Now we charge, we have a, we have a, uh, we have a, a charge to get in because it's a tour. It's a $15 an adult charge and it's uh, seven for under 12. But obviously any kid that couldn't pay, we'd pay their way to get in. It's not about getting money. That doesn't even cover the electric in the building for the sure. month. But we do want to raise money for this so we can do scholarships with kids that, you know, are less fortunate, you know, and, and it's interesting because, you know, God gave us all an ability to uh, use our brains. So, I, you know, I'm not for dragging, I'm not for dragging individuals that don't want an opportunity into an opportunity, but I am for giving an opportunity to people that want an opportunity, an opportunity. So, well, they, and we don't get a lot of, it, there's a lot of exposure to this kind of thing nowadays in, in modern life. People said that kids wouldn't love this. We haven't had a kid come in here that hadn't just love this when they come in. They just love it. So it's, uh, it's quite a, there's a lot in here, actually. There's a lot of things in here, so. Well, I was admiring your cafe there. I, I couldn't help but notice how many uh, young family, families were young kids. And, uh, and I do that. You know, I take kids for rides, you know, young eagles and stuff yeah. just to keep things going. I don't know if I've ever taken anybody who became a pilot. I don't know. You, you never know, you right? You never know. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been, uh, you know, re really awe-inspiring that, that, that you can do this. And I'm really appreciative that, that, that people are doing things like this. So. Oh, thank you very much. Luke. Luke, I'm sorry. It's all right. No problem. No problem. <laughs> I'm saying, say your I'll, name I'll, again. So Luke, Luke Curtis. Luke Curtis. Well, that concludes another episode of Airfields of Dreams. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, thank you for listening. Next week, we'll probably go. I haven't decided yet. We might go to Gettysburg or Smokedown. We'll, we'll take a, a trip up north instead of heading. Uh, we've been heading a, a lot of fields in the south right now, so... Uh, next week we'll uh, go someplace north, so stay tuned. This has been Airfields of Dreams.